0: All right, you ready to you ready to jump this thing off? Chick,
1: I'm ready, like Freddy to rock real steady. Somebody say, oh,
0: oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Do not make this part. Of no, this. I will. All right, let's go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another edition of. Now nah, I'm thinking my bad. We're going to scratch that out welcome 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 to another edition of the motown philly podcast this is episode 25 it's your host jason hall with my co-host tim golden and we are super excited of course about today's episode first before i jump in i want us to to give some thanks for all of our listeners i want to thank Ann silvers for being on last week we had a tremendous time We are super grateful for each and every one of you. We want to go in today's topic fresh. Tim, today's a special, a special podcast. So bear with us. Uh, We're rolling into February. We want to bring in February right. We really want to bring it in right. We got Black History Month. We got love knocking at the door. But today, is going to be a special episode because we are we are actually going to come to you guys and approach you guys on a on a very somber yet poignant note because there's some things that we want to share with you guys. So Tim, lead us into what today is going to be about and what we're going to do. Okay, so today's
1: topic folks is history and communication and we are going to be discussing the recent tragedy in Memphis, Tennessee and surrounding the the tragic death of Tyree Nichols. And before we do that, we want to make it a habit this month because of the importance of history, especially black history, to do a Black History Spotlight. So just before we actually get into our discussion of the topic, I'm going to read our Black History Spotlight for this week. These are coming at you every week this month during Black History Month of the Motown Philly podcast. And then we're going to move into some words from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that I think will frame our discussion quite nicely. So here we go, Jay, for our Black History Spotlight. This first Black History Spotlight on episode 25 of the Motown Philly podcast is spotlighting Barbara Jordan. Her full name is Barbara Charlene Jordan. She was born February 21st, 1936 in Houston, Texas. She was was an American lawyer, educator, and politician who served in the US House of Representatives, that's Congress y'all, for six years from 1973 to 1979 representing Texas. She was the first African American Congresswoman to come from the South. Barbara Jordan was the youngest of three daughters in a close-knit family. As a high school student, she became a skilled public speaker, winning a national debate contest in 1952. She attended Texas Southern University, my alma mater for where I went to law school in Houston, becoming a member of the debate team that tied Harvard University in a debate, one of her proudest college moments. Following graduation, She graduated magna cum laude in 1956. She attended Boston University Law School, where she was one of only two women, both African-Americans from Houston to graduate. She passed the Massachusetts bar exam, but moved to Tuskegee Institute, later renamed Tuskegee University in Alabama and taught there for one year before returning to Texas and gaining admittance to the bar there. Jordan was an effective campaigner for the Democrats during the 1960 presidential election, and this experience propelled her into politics. In 1962 and 1964, she unsuccessfully ran for the Texas House of Representatives, but she was elected in 1966 to the Texas Senate, the first African-American member since 1883, and the first woman ever elected to that legislative body. Jordan's success in Texas politics came from her knowledge of and adherence to the rules of the political process. She went to great lengths to fit in and sought advice on committee assignments. Her own legislative work focused on the environment, anti-discrimination clauses in state business contracts and urban legislation, the last being a political challenge in, in a state dominated by rural interests. She captured the attention of U.S. President Lyndon Johnson, who invited her to the White House for a preview of his 1967 civil rights message. Barbara Jordan remained in the Texas Senate until 1972, when she was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives from Texas's 18th district. In the House, Jordan advocated legislation to improve the lives of minorities, the poor and the disenfranchised and sponsored bills that expanded expanded workers' compensation and strengthened the Voting Rights Act of 1965 to cover Mexican Americans in the Southwest. Although she acquired a reputation as an effective legislator, Jordan did not become a national figure until 1974 during the Watergate scandal, when her participation in the hearings held by the House Judiciary Committee on the Impeachment of U.S. President Richard M. Nixon was televised nationwide. Her keynote address at the 1976 Democratic National Convention confirmed her reputation as one of the most commanding and articulate public speakers of her era. Jordan decided not to seek a fourth term and retired from Congress in 1979. In that year, she also published Barbara Jordan, a self-portrait. She then accepted a position at the University of Texas, Austin, where she taught at the Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs until her death. Despite her absence from Washington, DC, she remained influential in political affairs. In the 1990s, she served as an advisor on ethics in government for Texas Governor Ann Richards and also was chairman for the US Commission on Immigration Reform. In 1992, she again gave the keynote address at the Democratic National Convention Barbara Jordan died January seventeenth, nineteen ninety six, in Austin, Texas. A life
0: well lived, Jason. Barbara Jordan. I can tell you the truth. I only knew a little bit about Mar- Barbara Jordan. Appreciate that. What a
1: what a powerful testimony to a life committed to justice. Speaking of justice, folks, we're here to talk about a difficult subject tonight. We're going to talk about Tyree Nichols. And to set up our conversation, it was appropriate that we make sure that we devoted time to a Black History Spotlight. And what we're going to do now is play for you the first seven minutes of Dr. King's speech that he gave the last night before he died. It's It's known as the mountaintop speech. And without further ado, I'll just say that, well, what I want to say first before I play it is that for African-Americans, their history is often their their present. Their past is often their present. And Dr. King was one who was ahead of his time. And so without further ado, I'm going to play the first seven minutes of this speech. Bear with us, hang in there with us. I believe that every word that comes from his mouth from this recording is pertinent for us today and for the conversation that Jason and I are going to lead you through uh, in this episode 25 of the Motown Philly podcast on history and communication. Here we are folks, the one and only Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.
2: Thank you very kindly my friend. As I listened to Ralph Abernathy and his eloquent and generous introduction, and uh, then thought about myself, I wondered who he was talking about. It's always good to have your closest friend and associate to say something good about you. And Ralph Abernathy's best friend that i have in the world i'm delighted to see each of you here tonight in spite of a storm warning you reveal that you are determined to go on anyhow something is happening in memphis something is happening in our world and you know if i was standing at the beginning of time with the possibility of taking a kind of general and panoramic view of the whole of human history up to now. And the Almighty said to me, Martin Luther King, which age would you like to live in? I would take my mental flight by Egypt. And I would watch God's children... In their magnificent trek From the dark dungeons of Egypt Through a rubbered across the Red Sea Through the wilderness on toward the promised land And in spite of its magnificence I wouldn't stop there I would move on by Greece And take my mind To Mount Olympus And I would see Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Euripides, and Aristophanes assemble around the Parthenon. And I would watch them around the Parthenon as they discuss the great and eternal issues of reality. But I wouldn't stop there. I would go on even to the great heyday of the Roman Empire. And I would see developments around there through various emperors and leaders, but I wouldn't stop there. I would even come up to the day of the Renaissance and get a quick picture of all that the Renaissance did for the cultural and aesthetic life of man, but I wouldn't stop there. I would even go by the way that the man for whom I'm named had his habitat. And I would watch Martin Luther as he tags his 95 theses on the door at the Church of Wittenberg, but I wouldn't stop there. I would come on up even to 1863 and watch a vacillating president by the name of Abraham Lincoln finally come to the conclusion that he had to sign the Emancipation Proclamation but I wouldn't stop there I would even come up to the early 30s and see a man grappling with the problems of the bankruptcy of his nation and come with an eloquent cry that we have nothing to fear but fear itself but I wouldn't stop there Strangely enough, I would turn to the Almighty and say, if you allow me to live just a few years in the second half of the 20th century, I will be happy. Now, that's a strange statement to make because the world is all messed up. The nation is sick trouble is in the land confusion all around that's a strange statement but I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars and I see God working in this period of the 20th century in a way that men in some strange way are responding. Something is happening in our world. The masses of people are rising up. And wherever they are assembled today, whether they are in Johannesburg, South Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, Accra, Ghana, New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, Jackson, Mississippi, On Memphis, Tennessee, the cry is always the same. We want to be free.
1: The one and only Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. April 3rd, 1965. He spoke. I'm sorry. April 3rd, 1968. He spoke these words less than 24 hours before an assassin's bullet would take his life on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. Hmm. There are perhaps no better words to frame our conversation tonight than these. And tonight, Jason, we're talking about or this week, we're talking about Tyree Nichols and It's so apropos to begin with Dr. King's words because he spoke these words in the same city where just not long ago, Tyree Nichols was beaten to death by officers of the now defunct Scorpion unit of the Memphis Police Department. And jason let's just let's just start this dialogue let me let me just ask you how you're feeling and what you're thinking as you connect dr king's words spoken april 3rd 1968 with what is happening with what happened in memphis to tyree nichols in 2023 what's what's going through your mind right now jason
0: uh, I, I can say a lot. Um, I mean, as you framed that question, there was some reframing of maybe what we should think about the title of what we're talking about should actually be. You mentioned earlier as the title of this particular podcast episode being history and communication and it could very well based on what we've talked about thus far, what we heard thus far this could be framed as Memphis and communication and when you think about all that has transpired here recently and what you brought uh, to us in the form of uh, Martin Luther King's last speech him saying that this world is in chaos and this world is a mess and you fast forward 50 plus years we're still saying this world is in chaos and there is still a people Crying out for freedom. It is almost as though.
1: The past is the present. Mm. And I I mentioned history and communication. It could be Memphis and communication. You're right. Mm -hmm. Memphis and communication sort of speaks to history, that is how, how, how does our past affect the way we communicate? How does an awareness of our past affect the way we communicate? Mm-hmm. As I listened to Dr. King, Jason, I thought about how when he gave the I have a dream speech, he collapsed into the arms of a Philip Randolph, one of his close advisors. And he said to him, history has seized me. Mm. And That is so powerful A statement because when you listened To the words that he Spoke the night before he died He gave us a panoramic view Of history,
0: history. Yeah history
1: And he situated his remarks In history He he situated The Memphis garbage, garbage Workers Strike In the context of major historical events like the classical age of literature and philosophy in ancient Greece, Mm -hmm. the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, Mm -hmm. the Great Depression of the 1930s. And it goes to show you the empathy that Dr. King felt for sanitation workers in Memphis, to elevate their struggle and put it on a plane of historical occurrence with such major world events Mm -hmm. is it reflects so favorably on Dr. King's understanding of history and the need to situate moments like Tyree Nichols in that same history. Yeah, so I, you know, Jason, when I think about when I think about Tyree Nichols, there, there's there's three things about it that just it just really exhaust me. And I, I've been debating in my head whether or not to post about this on Facebook or on social media. And I just didn't. I started to do it the other day, but I just didn't have the strength to do it. So I, I just, we could talk about these things tonight. And of course, you know, whatever you see, you know how we do, man, here at Motown Philly. Right. It's all organic. So what what comes up, comes up. But the first thing that gets me about this is that people really fail to understand the nature of systemic racism. Talk about the, it. I, the idea of systemic racism is that systems, are racist, that systems are corrupt. There are people who, many of them white, who are actually going around saying things like, well, you can't blame race and racism for this one because all of these cops were black. Hmm. And it's not that they were black. It's the fact that they're cops and it's the fact that they are trained in, in a system that is fundamentally racist
0: broken. So
1: mm-hmm. it, it the problem isn't I mean you could plug in any nationality or ethnicity that you want. we talked earlier this week and you pointed out that when you look at the Derek Chauvin George Floyd uh, that the, the at Derek Chauvin's murder of George Floyd you saw an Asian cop, it
0: was a rainbow, bro. Rainbow was, coalition. There, was,
1: there were a number of ethnicities that stood by and watched Derek Chauvin with his knee on George Floyd's neck for nearly 10 minutes.
0: The system was working. The system. Exactly.
1: The system was working. So it's not about this overly simplistic view of, oh, this is black on black, so you can't cry racism. No, this is evidence of systemic racism because the people are the same race Mm -hmm. as the person that they killed. So that's that's one of the things that I thought
0: of. What are your thoughts on this, Jason? I mean, I I, I I like the topic the topic because we're bringing up a conversation that is that is that is it's deep in its nature and it's not as surface as it seemed, and it's 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 horrible in its nature. But I think the fact that black men killed. Not all black men. We'll talk about that later. But black men were a primary part in killing another black man as being servicemen or policemen. It helps to it helps to spark the conversation to go deeper. No, it's not. We can't take what happened for face value. I like to think when you think about the system of 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 slavery, um, there is kind of a system that was set up where you had and you think about the movie the Django right let's bring it let's bring it to culture right um and what reality was you had house slaves and you had and you had field slaves those house slaves they were part of a system right plantation system slavery system and those house slaves When the master wasn't didn't have his eyeballs because he couldn't have them everywhere he he employed if you will the house slaves to be his eyes and ears um if you can remember when Django was coming back or was meeting was supposedly going to meet his wife for the first time uh Samuel Jackson's character he had um the Jangles, who is jamie fox's character he had her in some type of confinement right she had her, he had her he in some type of prison like and the thing was when he when he was talking to um the master if you will which is leon leonardo dicaprio he was just like who told you to put her in there well she did something wrong and he was by his own authority right <laughs> his own self-employed authority and um he's he he stuck her there and he stuck her there seemingly I don't know for a few days may it may have been just giving her water in this confinement but naked and chained and I mean it's it was a system where where they were empowered the slave the uh, the the house um slaves were empowered to be over those who were considered in their minds um less you know uh they were the authority if you will or in a different position and it's similar it's it's similar or if not the exact same thing i mean what what is your thoughts about it because i i see it very similar to the fact that that's where the empire they they were empowered to do so
1: well that's that's right jason Uh, i'm reading with my i'm reading a book with my students now about the birth of the prison and where the prison came from And what's interesting is that in the real world example of Tyree Nichols and in the fictional example of Django, you have two systems that were self-executing. Chattel slavery in reality functioned so well, you could just let it be on its own and it will continue to happen. Mm -hmm. It's the same way with policing. Absent some sort of intervention, it's just going to continue as is because that's the way it's set up that's the way it was designed to function right. and when I think about this I'm just reminded of how powerful systemic racism really is because again it becomes the system becomes self executing it, it's all it almost becomes like breathing it's uh-huh. the, it's the default setting. Oppression is America's default setting in almost every instance. Say that again. <laughs> oppression, <laughs> oppression is Jeez. America's default setting. Jeez, bro. In, in almost every instance, if you don't intervene to do something, think about it, Jason. Every every intervention. I'm I'm sorry. Every so-called game in american history that had to do with alleviating oppression never it, none of none of them happened on their own no it was a rising there was a rising up there was an an intervention there was a reckoning and the the story of America mm-hmm. is the story of those people of goodwill, black and white and others mm-hmm. who stand in the space, the chasm mm. between America's rhetoric and her reality, and who dared to try to pull the two closer together.
0: Right. Right.
1: Who dared to try to pull the reality up to the level of the rhetoric. And that is literally American history. That's what American history is. And we live in a day and age now in 2023, where we still, unless there's an intervention, it's just going to get bad. And even, even with the interventions, there are built in incentives. Financial
0: incentive. Financial. Yeah, I was going to say that.
1: To keep things the way they are. Insurance companies make money, Jason, off of these police abuse cases because the city hires them mm-hmm. and the city pays premiums. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, with the amount of money that the insurance company collects over decades,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the amount of money that they have to pay out on the city's behalf is relatively small. That money is taken is reinvested. And if the city really needs to raise money, they'll issue bonds,
0: bonds.
1: And when they issue bonds, they are essentially borrowing money from the people in the city who the police are sworn to protect and serve and who they have not protected and served. And then they have more banks large banks and finance companies come in to service the bonds and they get paid millions and millions in some cases billions billions
0: billions, yes
1: to to help the city administer the bond programs so when you think about the fact that things are so slow to change it almost makes you scratch your head and say You know, on one hand, you scratch your head and say, why are things so slow? But on the other hand, when you know stuff like this, you just have to shrug your shoulders and say, wow, no wonder things aren't changing because there's a there's a profit motive to maintain the status quo.
0: Yeah, there's no check and balance there. There's no reason why it should get better. Like um, when it comes to these trials, I understand that you know, the, the individuals who, who are in trials, like, like the policing system and the budget pays for everything on their side. If it goes, if it goes, uh, if it goes to trial, which it is like, like who has to foot, like the bill just keeps being passed down. And at the end of the day, the banks are the insurance and the banks are at, are kind of the bottom line Who's profiting And of course This is the citizens of that municipality um, Or that county Or that state That's Those are the individuals Who are footing the bill over time Just like, so,
1: so it's almost as though The people Pay taxes To support a police department That ends up doing them harm And then the people Loan the city The money To pay the damages to one person who they've harmed, and then banks and insurance companies and finance companies come in to help things move along, and they end up getting paid. So it's almost, it's all, it's, it's, and I'm not, I'm not laughing. That's not a laugh of joy. That's just a laugh of sheer disgust. Right? It's almost as though this is a living example of the Bible verse that says the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah, this is this is this is outrageous.
0: Quite simple. Follow the money and you'll you'll find some understanding behind it. It it, it is kind of it's kind of demented. It's kind of sick and twisted when you really start peeling back the layers as to how, like, there's no incentive to change. Like, if the, if the, if the bill gets continued to pass, and at the end of the bill, there's a, there's a, a large company or a large bank profiting from it, like, where is the incentive to really change? So we march, we protest, of course, we we try to affect legislation, but if, le- if, if legislatures, just says, give more Money so that there can be more surveillance. You're just, what are you doing? Like you're, you're not doing, you're, you're like, we pay, we we pay, like we pay policemen, like forget any type of, any type of um, civil um, case that might be up or some type of injustice. Like we just pay them regularly and then they do, and then they go and do things like this And then they have to go to court and we pay that. And then there is some liability insurance and we pay that. And if it's the citizens, all of us should be in somewhere, some wise uproar because there's no check and balance or there's no incentive to really change the system um, to where how we know it now. In fact, it seems that there's every incentive to just leave things
1: the way they are and continue kicking the can down the road. And meanwhile, we're just waiting for the next George Floyd or Tyree Nichols or Tatiana Jefferson or Breonna Taylor or Sandra Bland or Rekia Boyd. I mean, take your pick one black person after another dies and it's just, hey, that's the status quo. They'll get paid. And in the meanwhile, the citizens will have to the city's going to have to raise money so they're going to have to borrow money from the same people who they're supposed to protect and serve that the police department is not neither protecting nor serving, which brings me to my next point. Would the everybody is, is, is supposed to be is supposed to feel good because these five cops were fired and they were arrested and charged with criminal homicide almost immediately almost immediately, specifically second degree murder. And and Jason, I can't help but scratch my head and wonder would this have happened? Would there have been this much transparency? Because when Laquan McDonald got shot 17 times in Chicago, there was a straight up cover up over that videotape for years. There was a cover up or well, for at least one year. Right, okay. I think and and now here they've released the video they've released the video they fired the cops they charged the cops the cops have been arrested they're you know they're terminated all of this would this have happened if these five cops were white
0: well with that being said there there was a white cop involved that is recent as a day now um A day ago, maybe he was actually, I I, want to say relieved of duties, but they might have upgraded it, it upgraded him to a fine. But the fact that he was not mentioned until almost a week later as an individual who played party to to uh, Tyree's demise, his death, he was included originally, although he was present, I believe because they were both there were two scenes there was this initial um, interaction with the law where he ran and this particular police officer did fire his taser um, and I believe he was some video or audio recording of him potentially at the second scene uh, to where he said something to that was very derogatory towards Tyree at the time did you hear about that
1: I heard about it but check this out I never saw his picture on TV uh.
0: till today. Actually, today or yesterday, I saw it for the first okay. time.
1: I did, I saw the pictures. Of course, they bring him in after after they show five black, black guys.
0: Oh okay.
2: yeah,
0: and and I I do I say that because <laughs> we be- we belong on the screen, bro. If it's criminal, yeah. we belong on the screen. It's almost
1: as though white America is saying to us we're sorry for Tyree Nichols and we're offering these five black men as scapegoats in this situation. So you can't say that race has anything to do with it. And we're going to shove them down your face swiftly and certain and certainly and severely. And we're going to make sure that everybody knows that we acted swiftly and that they're black and they become the sacrificial lambs for all manner of police misconduct and then after all that fanfare and after all the hype waiting for the videotape to be released and after all of that in that context at the end we bring in the white
0: guy i mean it's the system at work though right yeah i mean we belong on tv we they associate us as black as criminal black male as criminal oh it just so happens to be uh these are black males who are killing this other black male uh who was this was a traffic stop bro let's just start there this was a traffic start stop the, here's a here's another thing the one thing that really resonates that we've heard a lot in the last three years since George Floyd is the fact that they are black lives there are um, all, all lives matter, AKA white lives. And then there's blue lives. And I think for me, you asked at the beginning of this, like, what do I think and how am I feeling? What I've thought about in regards to blue lives, and I believe you and I mentioned and had talked about this a little bit this week blue lives, when you wear a uniform, you don't and you don't have to, they don't see color and that's why you you know especially after george Floyd, blue lives matter like because that's a that's a race bro like that's a it's a color of of of, of authority it's a color it's a system you know that's a it's a uniform and Yeah, they can, especially if you're black, if you do something wrong, it's you can easily get stripped of that uniform and then you get to be who you really are, right? (laughs) It's it's a
1: culture. It's a language. It's its own identity. And it's sad that these five black cops have to be the sacrificial lambs given back to us after Tyree Nichols has been taken away from us, so it's almost as though the system worked as it's as it in its default setting killed Tyree Nichols, regardless of who the race of the people who did it, and then in an attempt to protect that system and make sure it continues as is. These five are held up to protect the system and given back to us as sacrificial lambs. So it's like the system giveth and the system taketh away. It Mm -hmm. is a vicious, wicked, evil cycle of oppression, and it has never gone off course without an intervention, without people. To push it. And that's the story of America. The story of America is the story for social justice. It's the story of those people, black, white men, women, brown, yellow, red, whomever, who have stood in the space between America's rhetoric and America's reality, and who have valiantly and gallantly fought to raise the reality up to the level of the rhetoric. You know, a few years ago, Jason, about five specifically, I played a character named Hambone Mm -hmm. in August Wilson's play, Two Trains Running. And Hambone was a character who painted a fence for a white man. And he painted the fence on the promise that when he was finished, the white man would give him a ham. So Hambone painted the fence. And when he finished, the butcher offered him a chicken instead. My character had two lines that he repeated throughout the whole play. I want my ham. I want my ham. He gonna give me my ham. He gonna give me my ham. I want my ham. He gonna give me my ham. And the greatest Americans, the great American story is captured in the spirit of Hambone. For those who are listening, our Christian listening audience, you may be familiar with the importunate widow of Luke 18 verses one through eight. She went to a judge to get the judge to avenge her of her enemies. And the Bible says the judge regarded neither God nor man, but that didn't stop her. She kept pushing. She kept going. She had, in a sense, the spirit of Hambone. And that's the spirit required of all of us today. As I listened to Dr. King at the beginning, Jason, his life was a life that just screamed out. I want my hand, mm. everything he did when, when he said in 1963, in the I have a dream speech, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check, a check that has been come back, marked insufficient funds. I want my hand. He he fought for voting rights and stood on the steps of the state capitol in Alabama and Montgomery and gave his famous speech after the successful march from Selma to Montgomery and his refrain in his speech was, how long? How long? Not long. Because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long. Truth forever on the scaffold. Wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown stand as God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. How long? I want my ham. I want my ham. He gonna give me my ham. This is where we are, bro. Twenty twenty
0: three. I, I, I heard. I heard. And I heard the mom. Of Tyree say something that was kind of, that tweaked me different, and this is kind of what we as African Americans have experienced in this country under Christianity, under a religious uh, monicum of understanding what life is for us. And she said, "I believe I think Attorney Crump, Crump told this story for her." on a few platforms, but she said, I believe that my son was put here, that God put my son here for a purpose and that God, that, and that he served his purpose as a sacrifice and that and that my prayer is that from his sacrifice, good will come of it. So since he served his purpose that he was put that or god put him on this earth to 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 do now he can you know now he's okay and i'm just like "Eh, i get that and but the thing is like this is what this is what attorney crump was saying gave her solace it gave her a a a point of comfort to understood that he's lived out his service um, or his purpose to life that God intended for him, and I'm just like, uh, oh, and it, and I say, uh, and oh, because I just don't. I, oh, this is me personally, and I say this respectfully. We weren't born. Black bodies weren't born to be sacrificed. Like we weren't born for such a purpose to be. The sacrificial lamb, because there was a sacrificial lamb. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that tweaked me. I don't know if you heard that and what that means to you as well. Well, I, I far be it from
1: me to criticize his grieving mother. Right. I'm not. Me too. To do, me I'm too. not going to criticize her. I'm not going to do that. But there is an idea present in her words that is an interpretation of suffering that is at least as old as the Bible itself, Mm -hmm. if not older. And that interpretation of suffering is one that says Anyone who is suffering or who has suffered is suffering for a reason. Nothing happens without reason. Mm -hmm. In philosophy, this is called the principle of sufficient reason. And it's a way of saying that for any state of affairs in the world, it is the way it is for a reason. The problem with this thinking, well, first of all, there's a little bit of a history behind this thinking that I need to flesh out. The principle of sufficient reason was formalized in the 17th century by a German philosopher named Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. He was a mathematician, widely credited with the invention of calculus. For those of you who are listening who've ever struggled through a calculus course, you can have Leibniz to blame brilliant mathematician philosopher who had a certain way of understanding the world in which he wanted to be able to make sense of everything and he likened the vicissitudes of life to a complicated math problem by arguing that even as one looks at a math problem and can't figure it out and may feel despair there is a solution you just haven't figured it out yet And so this kind of reasoning becomes the way that he argues people should view reality. And that becomes problematic because here's the thing, Leibniz did not invent the principle of sufficient reason, he discovered it. Again, it's at least as old as the Bible itself. When you read the book of Job, you see a man who is suffering and whose friends open their mouths and they start talking and they start asking him questions or saying things to him. Like, you know, your kids must've done something wrong. What did they do?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And each of his friends, two of his friends give two, three speeches. One of his friends gives two and all of their speeches get progressively more harsh about all the bad stuff that Job must have done to deserve this. right? And so the problem with that kind of thinking, again, not criticizing Tyree Nichols grieving mother, you know, but but there is in her words, there is what what's called a theodicy right theodicy comes from two words two greek words theos meaning god and dk meaning justice Mm -hmm. and a theodicy is a defense of the justice of god in the face of what appears to be undeserved suffering so if there's evil in the world how could god be all good all powerful and all knowing at the same time if if god is all powerful then he can't be all good because And all-good God who was all-powerful would bring a stop to evil, right? So it's an intellectual problem. Right. And, And the point that I'm making here is that the problem with that thinking is that that kind of thinking refuses to tarry with the suffering of other people. We can't be so quick to resolve the death of Tyree Nichols his grieving mother, notwithstanding as some sort of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Because if we, as soon as we do that, we have now understood Tyree Nichols at the expense of caring for him. We have not tarried with the loss because the loss makes us uncomfortable. And because the loss makes us so uncomfortable, we have to try to rationalize it and intellectually resolve it as soon as we can to make ourselves feel better.
0: Self-soothing, so to speak.
1: Yeah, 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 Jason. And rather than rather than confront something that you can understand and just just accept tragedy for what it is, we, I think in general are too quick to engage in these intellectual resolutions at the expense of a life that's gone and that we really never mourn as we should. So there's nothing Tyree Nichols mother has to do what she has to do, right? Again, we're not, I'm not really saying anything bad about her but this notion that a man a young black man as you said was born into the world to be sacrificed it it gives me this eerie similarity to a bad interpretation of the christ figure
0: yeah i mean i think the language is just like she said Like he had a purpose and this was, his. I think that's more, that's that those words are more unsettling. Like his purpose, his purpose was, his purpose was never to die the way he did. You know what I'm saying? Like that was not his mission in life. And although we can bring. Some very positive things. If worked hard and fought hard for, because of what happened, it was never his. My thing is, this, it was never his purpose. I mean, with all due respect, and like I said, respectfully, and this is not saying anything. But people, like there is a thought and a mindset to say that, yo, like you, you and I used to talk about in religious, um, like, like mindsets and thoughts, where it's like black bodies sacrificial like I got to die and like that's a theme and it's just like nah that's not it
1: it's not it's not it and you know Jason the black woman womanist theologian Dolores S. Williams did a lot of really good theology around the notion of surrogacy and the cross and the idea of surrogacy is the idea in, in her writings that black women often in American history have played the role of surrogate mother, to white women uh, for their children. They've often played the role of surrogate sex partner, to white men who basically you know saw them as sex objects, in many cases raping them and so forth and she speaks about how this notion of surrogacy for years had been undergirded by the cross and by aligning the surrogacy of black women with the sacrifice of Christ and saying well if G- if it was if it was good enough for Jesus then it's good enough for me and rightly so she condemns this kind of theological interpretation. And she makes what I think is one of the most profound statements in the history of Western theology. She says we must learn to liberate redemption from the cross.
2: Hmm.
1: And what she's saying is that we have to figure out a way to speak of redemption in ways other than suffering and pain that we then use to impose on marginalized groups of people to tell them that they're not being good Christians unless they are following Jesus's example. But she makes the
0: point his example of suffering,
1: his example of suffering. Exactly. His example of suffering. And I, I, I tend to think Dolores Williams on this point is spot on It, it, this, and this really, this is, this is good that we're talking about this because even as, even as that applies to, even as she makes this argument about black women, it also applies to black men. It doesn't apply any less to Tyree Nichols because he's a man. Why should, why should the cross be used? as a means of justification or ex or rational explanation for the termination of a young black man's life. It shouldn't be used for that any more than it should be used to justify the surrogacy of black women, whether it be sexual or maternal surrogacy. In other words, the use of the Christ figure to undergird systems of oppression is fundamentally wrong no matter who it applies to. And this is where, again, this is where I think Dolores Williams makes a powerful point. So this brings me to point number three, Jason, something that just, man, this just got under my skin so bad. So we did a episode last year, right around the midterm elections on, I think we did it on politics and communication. And one of the things we talked about in that episode was how in American politics, there are these extremes. Right. There are extreme ideologies. Right. There is an extreme right wing, and there is an extreme left wing. I want to go on record now as saying that both of these extremes are very harmful to black men. And in some cases, they're very harmful to heterosexual black men. I actually heard or saw on social media, somebody came out and said that these five black cops who killed Tyree Nichols were engaged in a ritual of quote, toxic black masculinity close quote that they have learned from watching white men and when I heard that my blood boiled because I thought to myself here is a black man who is dead and you are taking this opportunity from the far left of the political spectrum to castigate black men and if there's one thing Jason that we have to I think get through our heads it's that in the black community if we are ever going to achieve any modicum of social justice we're not going to be able to do it if we continue to denigrate and castigate black men The same voices that will say these five black guys are engaged in a ritual of toxic black masculinity are the same ones who are supposedly going to come out and condemn white supremacy and systemic racism. Well, wait a minute. If you're going to make this about five black guys who are imitating white men, where is your critique of systemic racism? Where where are you making the point that these five black men could have been five white men, five asian men, three asians and two latinos, two lat th- two three latinos and and two indigenous persons. I mean it could have been anyone. But we are willing to completely overlook that in the interest of taking a shot at black men when another black man is dead. And that kind of wedge that has been driven in our community between uh, between black men and the rest of our community, it, it just we're just not going to get anywhere if that continues, man. We're just not.
0: It sounds very similar. And I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it. I sent you something. um Something that I think was it Jason Whitlock. Did you hear oh. his soundbite? Did you hear his soundbite? Right.
1: Wait a minute. This is the this Jason. This is the Jason Whitlock who said that what happened in, in in to Tyree Nichols happened because you had black black men out of control because they're being supervised by a single. uh Single black woman who's the chief of police is well, that the is that what you're talking about?
0: Yeah, and which also were these five black men were probably raised by single moms, right? They were raised by single moms in yeah. a in a society of single moms, and <laughs> Bruh
1: I don't. I mean, is that what we're doing now? Jason so, Whitlock
0: so, don't like black people, like Kanye right. West stand up,
1: like what the right, right? So, so, so I'm glad you brought up Jason Whitlock because he's the example of a sort of right wing extremism that is hostile to black people. Tell, tell them who Jason
0: Whitlock is if they don't know.
1: Jason Whitlock is a sports commentator. He used to be employed by the Fox Sports Network. There was a show called Speak for Yourself. Now it's just called Speak. The to- hosts are Manuel Acho, Joy Taylor, uh, LaShawn McCoy from the Marcellus. Eagles. Uh, no, Marcellus is Marcellus Wiley, isn't on there anymore. Okay, okay. I think his, his contract was up, but anyhow, he Jason Whitlock is uh, he, he's he's a
0: commentator who is he's known for doing horrible takes, right. bro Just just right. horrible takes against black people. Um, and when yeah. when you when you talk about a especially uh, basketball and football, predominantly um, African American sports, and right. most of these, and he's often on the other side, often on the other side of takes that are detrimental and demeaning to black men. Right? Correct, correct. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't
1: agree with you more. So he's the example of a sort of right wing extremism. So think about think about this, Jason. Think about what we're presenting here. You have people on the far right like Jason Whitlock, as misguided and moronic as he is, (laughs) who take this tragedy about Tyree Nichols and make it about castigating black women. And then you have people on the far left, like this so-called English professor on Twitter, who decides to, and, and this is a black man, who decides to castigate black men by talking about how they're, engage- they're, re- they're doing some ritual they've learned from watching white men. This is toxic black masculinity. What does that even mean? I mean, but anyway, it's just, it's a, so the far left is going to attack black men. The far right is going to attack black women. And at some point we have to figure out a way to negotiate these extremes that can bring some kind of stability to our community. Because here's the other thing, Jason, we have yet to figure out how in our community, we have yet to figure out how to elevate black women without castigating black
0: men. Listen, listen, this is, this is getting eerily close to who we had on last week with Ann Silvers. She stood in the, she, she was standing in the gap to making things known about the abuse of men, the emotional abuse of men, because that's often seen in another paradigm that it's the woman who's getting abused, but no, there are also males who get abused as well. There is language that needed to be, that needs to be made more and more to shine light to that subject. And this is the forum in which we get to have conversations just like these to shine light because we have some we have certain people on one side and on the other saying these things in echo chambers that needs to be silenced in a way by a larger conversation that helps to bring stability like you said and balance to this system of understanding how do we navigate and move forward in a more harmonious way and one of those things is educated education of what the system is, not just by black and black and brown people, but by everyone, everyone under the sound of my voice, white, Latino, and, and people of all ethnicities. It just has, it has, it has to move forward.
1: It has to happen, Jason, because if it doesn't happen, nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to change it, I love black women. I celebrate Black women, and the fact that I love and celebrate celebrate Black women is not a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. I can love and celebrate Black men too. It's not a it's not an either or, and we too often treated it this way. And what makes it an either or are the extremes. I mean, Jason Whitlock sounds like a stone cold fool. (laughs) How you? (laughs) they were probably raised by single mothers. I mean, that, that's just, it's as if it wasn't so insensitive, it would be ridiculous.
0: But here, here's the other thing. Like these are the guys who have mics who have the hot mics, so to speak, like these are the Twitter fingers who have the hot thumbs, who has all these followings. And they're saying things that they ought not say in, in, in a universe or 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 in a speaker sphere if you will that where people it's almost like moths being attracted to 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 the light and when these people open up turn on their mics and they or they open up their twitter accounts it's just like they are not responsible at all and it's 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 for individuals it's probably why we're doing what you and I are it's probably one of the main reasons why you and I are doing what we're doing on this podcast is trying is is not holding one side above the other but it's trying is it, it's striving to speak what is fair um what is healthy and and what is good so to speak to so that we can have our conversation that it, that can hopefully change hearts, give insight, and push the needle forward. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's almost like the far, the far left wants to elevate black women and black LGBTQ and castigate black men. The far right wants to castigate black women and black men too. But they want to they want to Jason Whitlock in this example wants to castigate black women and and try to elevate black men. And in the middle, here we are, Jay, Motown, Philly in the middle. This is a mission, baby. This is the purpose. And for those of you who are listening, that's why you need to be subscribing because you're not going here for right wing nonsense. You're not going to hear far left wing nonsense. You're gonna hear what we believe is a balanced, healthy, and absolutely necessary way to process the madness of the world in which no one is put down at anyone else's expense. That's what we're about here at Motown Philly, Jason. And y'all, hey, y'all listening, y'all who are listening, This is why you need to be subscribing, getting the notifications, sharing. I'm telling y'all, listen, we are here to stay in this space and we got great things happening and as, as tragic as this is the death of Tyree Nichols, the loss that his parents have to suffer, it, it is, it is, it is just so sad that we have to do that and and Jason and I hope that in the midst of this kind of madness we can be a voice of reason a voice that speaks health and well-being we're not anti women we're certainly not anti black women and we're not anti black men we're not yeah. anti lgbtq there is room for everybody So you don't have to lock somebody out. And letting someone in doesn't mean you have to lock somebody else out. And we just hope we
0: get that message across here. Listen, guys, I didn't I opened up today uh, with uh, the welcome. And I did not say our mission and our goal, because it kind of helps set the premise for those who are have been listening, those who are new listeners. We're all about communication, connection and community which is the premise of what what we do. It this is not if you've listened this far and you're new. Thank you. Our old our 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 regular listeners listeners know who we are and what we do. This is about communication. It is about connecting and it is about creating community. And hopefully you understood kind of like the spirit of who we are based on the topic that we were talking about. If we, if we have better communication around what we are doing in our community, in our society, about the systems that have been set up for us or not for us, or not for us, if we learn to talk about these things, black, white, or brown, and everything in the middle, like we begin to have, we begin to create new opportunities of growth, new opportunities of where we don't have to have discussions like this, as Martin Luther King said so eloquently, like his ability to communicate the history of our past or our past, and then bring it to our present. We have to begin to not have singular communications, but have collaborative communications about what has happened in the past that will make a brighter future for us now and our children and and our children to come. And it's through communicating in a healthy manner, not being on one side or the other in its extreme sides, but coming together in the middle and saying, how can we be better? These, These are things that are disruptive to our to our families to ourselves as individuals to our communities and how can we make these things better. That's what we are about here in this on this podcast. And this is our effort is our effort to always say we don't have answers. Like we didn't come, we came presenting what we've known, what we've seen throughout the entirety of this last week about what happened with Tyree, Tyree Nichols here in this in my state, Tennessee, in my city of Memphis and and trying to grapple with the facts that we've seen. But at the end of the day, if we don't start having conversations and communicating effectively about what is going on in our world and have good conversations about our history without blaming each other, how can we ever go for it? How can we ever move forward? Jason Whitlock
1: is an example of exactly what we should never do. Never. And and the English professor from I think he was from Massachusetts. The English professor is an example of what we should never do. Going to social media to offer a a so-called critique of black men in the wake of the tragic death of a black man at the hands of the police is not a healthy means of communication. It is it is far left-wing politics at its worst. And Jason Whitlock is far right-wing politics at its first. The wedge that has been driven between black men and black women by the political extremes in this country will be the undoing of our community unless there is a space where we can come to have healthy conversations yeah yeah that are not exclusionary and where the zero sum game is not played where everyone has a seat at the table and there's room for everyone and that place is here at the yeah. Motown Philly podcast and and we're here we're here to stay and we're going to do everything in our power to leave the world a little bit better than when we found it and and i'm just grateful for all of you who who listen and who tune in and and you just you're the engine that makes us go and we just we're just so thankful i'm just so grateful for all of you who are listening and jason let me ask you this man where can people find you
0: Listen, you guys can find me on Instagram at the speakers mechanic at the speakers mechanic. You can find me on LinkedIn, Jason Hall, communication skills coach, uh, Twitter, Jason Hall speaks, Tim, where can we find you? You find me on
1: Instagram at a good golden man. You can find me on Twitter at D R T J golden ESQ. And you can find me on Facebook at Tim Golden three things in life are certain death taxes and I'm the only black man in Walla Walla Washington named Tim Golden Walla Walla the city so nice she had to say it twice but where I live is not where I'm from I'm from the city of brotherly love P-H-I-L-L-Y Jason it has been real this podcast it has been heavy Uh, I hope We didn't make things too heavy for y'all who are listening, but it's one of those difficult conversations that we had to have. Jason and I felt like it would be, it was absolutely necessary for us to talk about this tragedy and sort of process it together. And we're thankful that we get to process it with all of you. Please folks check out our Motown Philly podcast, Facebook group. It is growing we're getting upwards of 100 members. We're getting closer. And our average weekly downloads, as I la- when I last checked, were well up over 100. I think they were at 118. We started out with just 49 average weekly downloads. And now we're already over 100. That is awesome. Keep it going, because once we get above 500, that's when Motown Philly really, really takes off into the stratosphere. And we want everybody to go along with to, to go along with us on that ride. So Jay, hey, you gotta come into the Facebook group. You gotta interact. You gotta drop comments. You listen to us. You have questions. You have see something you heard. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna complain. You wanna gripe. Mm-hmm. You wanna, vent. you wanna, you wanna say, hey guys, you doing a good job. Whatever, tag us in your posts. We'll try our best to respond. We love y'all. Y'all make it happen. And, and Jay, I'm just thankful.
0: Yeah, me too, man. Listen, drop, drop a like drop a comment review us on the platforms uh get at us in our facebook groups listen uh we're trying to build community we're trying to make this space safe to have conversations that are difficult tim said it great we we are we process this thank you for allowing us to process this through with you guys because we still we we're still processing it um as you know, new information unfolds and we're also processing what has, what has already happened. So listen, we thank you guys so much.
1: Thank you all so much. And listen, we'll be right back at you all next week in time. The next upload y'all are going to get just in time for Valentine's Day next week. We're going to lighten it up a little bit. Yeah. we can't wait to be back with you. Listen, I gonna just tell you all you go, when you get the upload notification, which you probably going to get the day before Valentine's Day, the day after my Eagles will have just won the Super Bowl, okay? I'm claiming it. Oh, you, you, you going out there, ain't you? I'm going out there. I'm claiming it. If we lose, we lose. But if we lose, I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'm still finna be strong. <laughs> Anyhow, y'all, y'all going to get the next episode uh, upload after this one y'all will get the next one just in time for Valentine's Day we're gonna have a special co-host with us and this week was heavy next week we're gonna lighten it up and we're gonna bring something straight to your heart for Valentine's Day so get ready for that Jay I love you man and I love all of y'all who are listening out there please keep coming into the Facebook group keep joining keep sharing keep showing us love as we show love to one another and to you Love y'all so much. Love you guys. We out. We out of here like Vladimir.